You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Matthew 18, look at verse 21. Matthew 18 and verse 21. Then came Peter to him, meaning Jesus, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now, do you believe there's really going to be a judgment seat of Christ? It's in the Bible. That means the day is coming when, if we could say it this way, uh, be sure that I have this on. There we go. Sorry about that. I think it may not have turned it in the right direction. All right. Where where you or I will be standing here, and we don't know exactly what this looks like, and Christ would be standing there. And what what I envision, and, and we don't know exactly, but you envision your own, but if Christ is there and, and you're here, then maybe there's this bowl, and our lives are put in this bowl, and then according to 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, it's as if he's going to light that, and it's going to burn, and then when it's done burning and all the smoke has cleared, then Jesus Christ put his finger there and sift through these ashes and see if he has a chance to touch anything solid, silver, or gold, or precious stones. Something that withstood the fire. And then I anticipate that there's going to be some kind of eyesight connecting or words exchanged between Jesus and myself based on what's left of my life after the fire. And what do you think he might say Does it matter to you what he says? I think we know in the scripture what we want to hear him say is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, you've been faithful and I'm going to honor you with this. But do we really know what he's going to say? It would be nice to know. And what we just read is a little bit of a picture of how we can prepare for that time. So let's pray and then we'll get started with that. Father, thank you for the time together. Thank you for people who have carved out a night in their week to hear from you. Many of them could say, well, I've already did this twice on Sunday and and so I'll get it again this Sunday, but yet they choose to be here tonight. I don't want to waste their time. I pray that looking into your word would be something that would benefit all of us and particularly this church that as they move forward under still relatively new leadership and new staff member and And then seeing Nate here tonight and preparing for an internship and Jacob coming this weekend. Lord, I I just, I'm so excited about all that you're going to do here and already in the process of doing. I pray that tonight would just be maybe a small drop in the bucket that would help this church be overflowing in all that you do with it in the future. And so help me to be clear, and I'm not there. Pastor, I don't want to ever step out of those bounds. I just want to challenge them according to your word, a place that I have a vested interest in. So use everything for your own honor and glory tonight in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So in this story, what you find here that the subject seems to be about forgiveness and in some ways it is. But when we go through this text and we read some other things Jesus said... What we're going to learn is that that forgiveness was simply the application that there's a mindset that happened between Jesus and Peter that we need to understand a little bit more about. And so we're going to make some application to forgiveness, but that's not the big part here. So Peter asked this question. Notice, Peter comes to him and says, Lord... How oft or how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So my brother 
does something wrong towards me. And then he, let's say that he asks forgiveness and I forgive, I choose to forgive him. I don't know if he means how many times does he sin against me in the future in different ways or maybe in the same way, but multiple times my brother offends me. He, issues, he has a trespass against me and, and then I'm obligated to forgive him maybe because he requests or maybe because I just feel conviction and I just need to forgive him in this sense. Lord, how many times should I forgive him? Now remember this. Peter is a big dreamer, is he not? You remember some of the things that he's thought about, that he's wanted to do? He, he had big thoughts. Remember that they are, they are in somewhat of a, they're in a little bit of this storm. And all the disciples see Jesus walking on the water, but only one of them thinks about, I bet I could walk on the water if Jesus would let me. Peter thinks big. Remember, they're, they're on the, the Mount of Transfiguration and, and Peter's just blown away by what he sees. Then he says, Lord, let's build three tabernacles here. And, and I'm guessing Peter's gonna help in the building and I don't know, I mean, that's a, we don't think about what he's really asking, but we need to have a building program. No, we need to have three building programs up on this mountain because this is a big deal. He thought big. And remember when Jesus said, all of you are gonna deny me? Peter says, they might not, they might, but I won't. I mean, this guy thought big. Are, are we in agreement on that? He's a big thinker. And so when he's coming to Jesus, this is, you, you got to realize this is the same man with the same thinking. And he comes to Jesus and he, and he says, um, he, I mean, he thinks, Peter didn't think a lot about what he said beforehand, but he had to think a little bit about it. And, and so he's probably thinking, okay, I'm going to ask Jesus and I'm, I'm going to give Jesus a big number. Because I think big. Jesus, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Jesus, seven times. And I, I have to assume Peter's expecting to hear, oh, Peter, you buckaroo, that's great, buddy. You are the chiefest of disciples. You're always right on, man. <laughs> I, I, I admire you and your commitment. That's probably what he, is, he assumes he's going to hear or expects to hear. He had no idea. Because we get to verse 22. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Mm. Jesus presents his own number and it was 70 times what Peter came up with. 490. 483 more than Peter came up with. That's a huge difference. I mean, that had to blow Peter's mind, I would think, because Peter's got to be thinking, I mean, just with his track record, he's got to be thinking, all right, Jesus is going to be impressed with this. And then Jesus comes out with 70 times seven. And I mean, it, it's probably even in Peter's mind, Lord, that's not even possible. I, I mean, I thought seven was good, but you're throwing this 490 out. I mean, Peter's got to be thinking, I, I mean, I don't even know that a man could do that. But in the middle of what we've read, Jesus says something very telling. And this is where I want to call our attention to tonight. Jesus saith unto him, would you read those next five words? Read those out loud with me. Ready? Here's what Jesus says to him. What is it? I say not unto thee. I say not unto thee. In other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, you didn't get that from me. That number you came up with, I didn't give you that number. And do you think this might would cause Peter to ask this question? Where did I get that number from? Where did I get seven from? Why did I throw out seven? I said seven. Turns out Jesus says 70 times seven. Now, let's think about this. Do you know anyone who has yet Maybe to forgive somebody for something one time? 
maybe even in your own life, there's something in you that somebody has trespassed against you, somebody has has uh, done something that, that has been against you and maybe you're just having the hardest time forgiving them. There are plenty of people that we know or maybe even in this room who have yet to come to the point of forgiving somebody one time. Basically, they have forgiven them zero times. Maybe there's something that you're harboring in your heart. You just cannot bring yourself to forgive them because sometimes forgiveness can be very, very difficult. But maybe you come to a point of, okay, I have forgiven, I've forgiven once. And for some people, one is big. And, and again, the trespass is big enough. I, I'm, I'm not mocking that at all. That can be a really big deal to come to the point of saying, I can forgive this. Well, the Pharisees of that day, they had their own teaching. And of course, they really wanted to be spiritual. So the Pharisees had it written in their interpretation of the law that you would forgive somebody three times and that was the righteousness. So that's pretty big. So if you take Peter's answer, do you realize what Peter's doing? Peter is taking the Pharisees' number. I don't even know whether he was using that as a, as a comparison but in that day, in context of where they lived, the prevailing spiritual number would be three. So Peter takes three, he doubles it, and adds one for good measure. Maybe he's trying some way to get to seven because he thinks Jesus likes that number. You know, that's the number of perfection or that's the number of completion. So I'm really going to impress Jesus by giving him the number seven and let's see what he thinks about that and he had to be stunned when Jesus responded back with 490. Now, because this is Jesus, Peter had to think, okay, why? Why is he telling me 490? But I want you to think about this. Peter is a disciple of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is on his way to the cross. And do you know how many sins Jesus is going to forgive once he is on the cross? Your sins alone were placed on, in his body on the tree, according to Peter, in, in, in 1 Peter. But not just your sins. And I, I don't know how many sins do you think you've committed. I'm well beyond 490. My sins alone would be more than that. And then you take yours and the person's next to you, and your whole pew, and this whole congregation, and every congregation meeting tonight, and every person on the planet today, and every person on the planet past, Jesus took the sins, I mean, we're talking trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of sins that Jesus took upon himself on the cross to forgive. And so Peter is a disciple of Jesus Christ who's on his way to forgive un, un, unimaginable numbers of sins. And so this disciple of Jesus has to be mindful of what Jesus is capable of because in some ways Peter's thinking, at my best, I can forgive seven. But Jesus is wanting him to realize, Peter, at my best, you can forgive 490. Because I'm going to help you realize what you're capable of. Because in Peter's mind, I can't imagine more than seven, but because of the, the, the God that he's serving, Jesus Christ that he's following, then Jesus knows what Peter is capable of under his control, under Jesus' control, Amen. instead of under Peter's control. And so if I could lead into this aspect of the message. Please get this. On the other side of Peter's 7 was Jesus Christ 483. And I want to refer to that as the 483 life. The life on the other side of your number. Of your number. Peter was living 7 for most of the Gospels. And then when the book of Acts hit, Peter finds the additional 483. But if he hadn't have been confronted, he would have been content 
with his seven. Is it possible that maybe sometimes we are settling for a seven life? When Jesus says, if you will let me help you with the number, I will show you 483 more on the other side of your seven. Now, listen, all of us have our numbers. All of you have come up with a number. In any and every area, we set our bar for every area of our lives. Every church member sets a number. There's a, there's a bar, there's a standard. Now, I'm glad you're here tonight because you will understand this, but every church member sets a bar for church attendance, don't they? I mean, I, I could preach this on a, on a Sunday and some people will be like, oh man, I, that's, that's kind of tough, but I'm, I'm glad you're here tonight and you're going to be glad you're here tonight because it seems like, okay, you've set, you've set a bar that says I need to be here Sunday morning and I need to be here Sunday night and I need to be here Wednesday night. Everybody's come up with their number for church attendance. Yes. Every one of you have a number for giving and I don't necessarily mean an amount. You have a standard by which you say this is proper giving. Some of you say, well, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to tithe and, and I'm going to tithe sometimes. And, and you came up with a standard for how often you're going to tithe or what you're going to tithe on or how much you're going to tithe. And then everybody here has a standard on, am I going to tithe? And then, and then am I going to do something to missions? Am I going to give, I don't, I don't know if you, if you have something separate than that, maybe a, a building or payments, or I don't know if you have any of that, a vision, whatever the case may be. Every every. Every church member has a number in their giving and in their attendance. Every church member has a number in ministry. Here's, here's what I'm going to give and here's what I think is appropriate and enough to pour into this ministry. Amen. And you come up with your number. And you say, I think this is appropriate. I think this is a decent amount of sacrifice. I think this is, this is what's good. Every church member comes up with their number in the application of this text in forgiving. Here's how much I'll forgive, but that's my number. And no more. If they do that to me again, if, if they say that, or if this person does this you know, to my kids or, or whatever the case may be, my tolerance is this. This is my number. All of us have our numbers. Maybe our number in reaching out to others. I'm, I'm not talking a, a quantified number. I'll talk to this many people. But the level of sacrifice or the level of putting ourselves out there, all of us have set our bar somewhere. Every husband has a number. This is my number for a husband. And I believe this is enough. Every wife has her number. This is the number I've set in being the wife God wants me to be. I, I think this is appropriate. Anything beyond that? Uh -uh. Every son and daughter has a number. Every father has a standard that he sets for his kids. Every mother all of us have our bars, have our numbers, have our standards. When it comes to patience, we have a standard. I'll be this patient and I'm not going to be any more patient. Our happiness, our tolerance for pain, our weariness, whatever the case may be, we just need to recognize right up front, all of us have set a number that we feel like this is what I'm content living up to. Or this is what I think that I am capable of. And that's why I conveyed the judgment seat of Christ. You and I are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and we are going to present to him our numbers. Yes. And the judgment seat of Christ means you don't get to change it after that. Wouldn't it be good to stop for a moment before we ever get there and before Jesus ever has to say to us, where'd you get that number? I didn't say that to you. I didn't say that was enough. Who told you that's all you were capable of? Who were you listening to? 
Because Peter got his number somewhere. And, and he was, Peter was expecting, he's going to be impressed. And those five words, I say not unto thee. We don't want to stand here when it's all said and done. And we, we went to the trouble of living this Christian life. We went to the trouble of going to a serious church like this. We went to the trouble of, of saying, you know, I, I want to read the Bible and I want to have a, in my mind what the Bible says about a husband and a wife and a mother and a father and a son and a daughter and, and a Christian and a, a Sunday school teacher and a, and a deacon and, and a, a choir member and a, a, somebody that plays the instruments and an usher and a sound man and a video man and all of those things. If we're going to go to the trouble of doing those, surely we don't want to just live that life and then wait till we get to the end and then say whoops he never said that so let's ask ourselves tonight where do we get our numbers where'd you get your number if he didn't say that to us who did let me just give you some what would be typical others we get our number from others. Sometimes we get our, our number, we set our number based on how we were raised. This is the, this is the dad that I saw. This is the mom that I saw. The, this, was, this was the environment that I was raised in and I am two notches above that. So I'm good. And that, but that's, we have to be honest enough, Christian, to say, to, to stop for a moment and ask ourselves, is that possible that's where I got my number from and when I say others I mean maybe it's other church members maybe it's possible you came here from a church that that wasn't near as serious as, as east side and near near as committed as east side and, and so you looked at them and you thought man they weren't serious but I'm here and I'm now I'm here and I'm I'm doing more than I ever did at my last church maybe even look around this room and saying I'm doing more than most in this room I'm, I'm doing more than these others in the youth group. I'm, I'm doing more than, than these other Sunday school teachers. And we might sometimes have to just admit, okay, stop. My, my number, honestly, is coming from the people around me. I mean, I, I've had times in my life where my number as a pastor came from other pastors. Instead of from having to realize and, and going through this message and my number as a pastor can't come from other pastors. And, and we're, we're going to talk about where it comes from here in a minute. Sometimes our number comes from what's easy or what's convenient, what it takes to get by. This will do. So that's my number. Pastor, I did it this way, and pastor said, okay, that was a good job. So that's my number. Pastor's pleased. And, and, that's, and that's pretty good. Others, maybe it's an offense. It's like, okay, you're not ever going to rise above this offense or some hurt you suffered, and that becomes a lid, and that becomes your number. You're not going to put yourself out there any more than it takes in order to risk getting, getting hurt. Some people's number comes from a difficult church member or from a critical member. Sometimes our number can come from our circle. There's any any number of places where our bar gets set and we decide, here's what I believe is enough. Now, can I just ask you point blank, when's the last time you questioned your number? When's the last time you just stopped and thought, okay, I, I have, I'm just, I got this mindset and this is, this, is, this is how I am, this is what I think is appropriate. When's the last time you stopped and said, What's my justification for that number? Because Jesus Christ offers a 483, which is life beyond what we sometimes are far too easily pleased with. Go, go back to Matthew 5. We'll come back here and finish a little because we need this last story that he tells to clarify some of this. Go back to Matthew 5. Let's be sure we, we understand kind of what, what Jesus says about the number. So look at verse, this is the, we're in the Sermon on the Mount here in the first chapter of it. So look at verse 43, notice this. This is what Jesus says when he's speaking 
uh, here training his disciples in large part. In verse 43 he says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. All right, he says, you've heard that it hath been said because it had been said that way. Can we call this seven? Jesus says, that's what you've heard. That's the acceptable norm that you, you love your neighbor and hate thine enemy. That is appropriate. You need to love your neighbor. It's okay to hate your enemy because that's your enemy. And, but be sure you love your neighbor. And so that would be the accepted behavior Look at verse 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Could we call that 490? That's a high standard, isn't it? You've heard that it hath been said. That's the seven. Because some people don't even love their neighbors. Do you have any neighbors you don't care for? <laughs> Probably. But even loving, loving your neighbors, can, that's, can, that can be a, I mean, that can be quite a calling right there. And then, and then hate your enemies, you know, you, you can get by with that. That's a seven. But, but Jesus goes into that which is about impossible for us. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. You've got to be kidding, Jesus. They cursed me. You want me to love them? Bless them? Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you. I've prayed for people that despitefully use me, but not like what he's talking about. I've prayed a few fireballs down on them. Not, I'm, Jesus never did it, but that's what I was praying. That's not what he's talking about. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's 490. He says, that's my standard. You, look, look at verse 45, and he explains why. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. See, that's the, one, that's the reason I say that, that Peter had to be mindful that his, his master, that he's a disciple of, was on his way to the cross to, to do this. And so here Jesus is explaining the reason that I want you to have this 490 standard instead of this 7 is because that's who your father is. That's who you are a child of. Peter, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Christian, you are a child of God, of your heavenly father, and that's the way that he is. Here's proof. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He could say, all right, I just want my son, I just want the son to come up and shine in, in Sioux Falls, only on those that are members of Eastside Baptist Church. Now, that would be a, that'd be a weird sunshine pattern, wouldn't it? He says, no, th there are some wicked people in this town, and I want them to enjoy the sun just like anybody else. That's, he says, that's the kind of God I am. Amen. And he says, I'm, I'm going to send rain on the just and on the unjust. So your heavenly Father is willing to, to take his benefits and bestow them on people who don't deserve them. And he says, so you're my child and I want you to live, I want your standard to be 490. You can't be the sevens. All right. So, so then he, he explains it even more in verse 46 and 47. He says, for if ye love them which love you, that's the seven, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? He says, listen, the publicans, they don't even have a God. And they're at seven, so why are you using seven as a standard? That's, there's, there's no great there. That's the problem. And so he says in verse 47, and if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Why set your number just because, that's, because that, the publicans do that? But you've got a heavenly father. This last verse Ought to blow your mind. Be ye therefore what? Ouch. Even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You want to talk about a high bar. Did he say, I, may I suggest that you at least think about your Father being perfect? And he, No, he's, it's a command. Be ye therefore perfect. And so he, he, he lays it out there. That is the ultimate definition of 490. Yes, it is. That's it. Now, anybody here achieve that yet? No. 
Anybody here going to be as perfect as their Heavenly Father by the time you die? No. Well, what's the deal then? Well, he says that's the bar you're supposed to set. If, if he's not the bar, then who becomes the bar? I, I'm, I, your pastor's not the bar for this church. I'm not the bar for Bible Baptist Church um, because, because the capacity of our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, is far above anything that any human will ever be. He has to be the bar. So the, the 490 is, you're, you're not going to tell your son or daughter in, in class if they're saying, man, I want to make better grades. You're not going to say, well, find the mediocre person in the class and try to excel them a little bit. You're going to say, no, go spend time around the best student and try to learn from them. Try to learn from the top. Well, for us, the top is him. Amen. And he says, you need, you need to learn from him. Yes. Listen, you are incapable of meeting that standard. But we are fully capable of making that the standard and keeping him the standard. Amen. That's why he has to be the standard. Yes. Now, does that make you feel inadequate? Of course it does. It should. The higher the standard you choose, the more inadequate you feel. That, that's simply the way that it works. But, so, so let's be sure we know where we're at and then we're going to finish with our, our story in Matthew 18 with, with the end of this. So... Peter says, Lord, how many times? Seven. Jesus says 490. And he, and he clarifies to him, Peter, you need to be mindful of where you got your number because I didn't say that to you. So if we go back to what Jesus said, he said, make the Heavenly Father your standard. Put your standard up here. You are never going to achieve it. But as long as that's your standard, you will die having the highest standard possible. And you will always be increasing your dependence on Jesus Christ because you are shooting in that direction. Because if he's not your standard, some people on your pew will be. And as long as you exceed them, you'll be all right. And this church will never achieve everything it could. So what is this story? Go back to Matthew 18 and let's just read this story. Are you mad at me yet? Okay, all right. I, I don't... I don't understand the South Dakota look yet. You know, it's like, is that mad or is that thinking or is that, okay, your son's out of here already. Shortest lived staff member in the life of Eastside Baptist Church because his pastor, his dad preached here. No, I know that. Look, look at verse, look at verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, so you have this king, and, and he's going to check on his servants, and he's going to bring them into account. And so he brings them into account, and the, he came across this one that owed him 10,000 talents. That's a bunch. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. He, Man, you owe me a lot, and so in order for you to pay it, we're going to take your, your children and take them into custody uh, until you can make payment, then you get them back. All right, so here's what happens in verse 26. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, and you can hear the pleading in his voice, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. I mean, he's begging for the life of his family. And notice what happens in verse 27. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. I love that story. It's a great story. Because this compassionate father, this Lord, is willing to forgive that servant when he pleads with him, his huge debt. But that's not the end of the story, is it? At that point, it's kind of nice. But look at verse 28. But the same servant, the one that had just been forgiven all that, went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet. Does this sound like a little bit of a repeat almost? His fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Now here's a big difference. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Notice this. Then his Lord, after the, that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt. 
because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And the answer is yes, he should have. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Now, so this one owed 10,000 talents to his, to his master. Can we call that for a moment? Because of the, we're trying to stay in context. Could we call that 490? Because that was a big number. And could we take that 100 pence and could we call that the 7 by comparison? Because just after Jesus compares 490 and 7, then he continues with this huge comparison. And this one man who, was, who owed 10,000 talents was forgiven much. He was shown 490. And then that man who had seen 490 towards him turns around and treats the one who owed him very little with a seven by comparison. He was shown 490, but he just goes on and lives a seven. All of this that he was forgiven then he reduces that down to something very little. And Jesus, in some ways, trying to convey to Peter, Peter, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive trillions, billions, gazillions of sins. There's no way that you as my follower can forgive seven times. Now, what do you think of the man in this story? What do you think of, of that man? When you see all that he was given what he had seen what he benefited from and then what he turned around and did after that you can't have a very good feeling about him there's two there's two lessons here and, and I want to apply those and then we'll be done the servant in the story benefits from 490 and then turns around and lives a 7 the servant was treated with 490 and the master is so angry with that he turns around and throws him into prison but not only that, Jesus then says in verse 35, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. So what he's saying in context is if, if you want to live a seven, then you're going to get a seven back. Don't live a seven and expect 490 in return. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. So these two points come out of this. What you have seen in the past ought to drive your future. Amen. Yep. What God has shown to you, there ought to be a direct correlation of what he's shown to you and what you live. Amen. And the second lesson is what you live now is going to have a lot to do with what you get in the future. That's good. Yes, now, now let, let me finish with this aspect of application and and this is where the 41 years of investment comes in. If you've been given 490 church, don't go live a seven. Don't go live a seven. The master's not pleased with that. And it is an underutilization. Has God put people in your path that are 490s? Um, when, listen, when I say 490, I don't mean anybody that's achieved perfection. When I say 490, I'm talking about people who set that as their standard. They, they are always striving to, to do and be everything that God would give them the capacity to do and be. And they're always growing. It's like, man, we're just, we are really want to get after this because this is important and this is what God has done for me. And I'm going to try to give everything that I can. Has God put people in your path that have shown you a 490 standard? Amen. Have you had or do you have parents that are 490s? If you, if you were given a parent, you were given a dad and a mom, and I mean, they are in love with the Lord and they are striving to serve God and, and, and you have a sense that, man, my mom and dad want to be everything that, that God wants them to be. If you have 490 parents like that, why on earth would you go out and live a seven? That's good. That's good. Yeah, that's good. 
Now I can, I can talk to these in particular and use them as an illustration because I love them and they love me, but I would say to the Jet kids, you were given 490 parents. Why on earth would you ever go out and live a seven? Don't be seven kids, don't be seven teens, because God blessed you with 490 parents. And, and there's other kids in the room, I'm certain you have parents who are 490. And you say, oh, we can't, that guy in the story, what an ingrate he was. But if God puts you in a home of 490, don't you go out and live seven. What about your, maybe God showed you some siblings that are 490. You ought to learn from them. God has given you, you mentors in your job even or, or in ministry where somebody, maybe a Sunday school teacher before you, somebody else that, that showed you how to teach a class or, or maybe to, to work in a particular ministry and God put 490 in front of you. I, I want you to understand from somebody who's watched him a long time, Eastside, God's given you a 490 pastor. Amen. Please listen for a few moments. God himself has placed somebody in front of you that has a desire. This family has a desire to be everything that God wants them to be. This man wants to be the very best pastor that he can be before God. Amen. We're talking a, a 490 pastor. And he has fresh vision I mean, I hear it all the time. An energy to lead this congregation. Let me just remind you, if, if I can, let me be, I'm just going to be personal for a little bit. You know, God used your pastor to lead a, a music program that honestly many have looked at in that area as a standard. And God used him to take it from this level to this level. And then God used him in the growth of a men's meeting that we had that I think when he came, we probably had six or 700. And by the time the jet left, we have 1,700. And, and we, we were bringing in preachers from the best preachers we could all over the United States. And then I realized, wait a minute, we've got the best preaching on staff right here. And, and when I began to use Brother Jet and and a, and a few guys, others less, but, but he, in, in preaching, then man, this thing just started growing. And, and when he left, I think the last year, we had like 1,700 men. And God used him in leading that, not only in the preaching, but in the managing of it. And, and God used he and Aaron in a youth group that now has 15 kids in Bible college. That, that is, that's the fruit of their labor. And he's becoming requested to preach in, in more places it, it, is, it is important to me as somebody that had an opportunity to invest in him for over 18 years to say to you, Eastside, please realize God's given you a 490 pastor. Amen. Now, can I ask you again, what does God then expect of you as a church member? Amen. If he's put 490 in front of you, then what does he expect of you in the pew? Because you would say of the man in the story, God showed that man, I mean, that man was shown 490, and then he turned around and lived seven. What are you doing? I mean, if God's going to put a man here who has a passion, has a vision, and says, bless God, I'm, I'm going to give Every bit of emotion and intellect and energy and everything I can, I'm going to pour into this place. And if God put 490 in front of you and you're a member of Eastside Baptist Church, don't turn around and do what the man in this story did and live a seven. Amen. God says, I'm, I'm giving you something in which you can see an example. And he even says it in the New Testament, he's an example to the flock. Now, listen, you, I don't know if you realize it, in this part of the country, you have an opportunity as a church to have a significant impact yes. in more than this community. That just, just what God has done here in the past, even in preparing for this time and all the good that was done and the vision that your pastor has. Can, can I tell you, I've, I'm, I haven't pastored as long as some. I've pastored longer than most, about 25 years. And I can tell you, when I just am in, in preaching around and looking at churches and regions of the country, 
Eastside Baptist Church has an opportunity to make a significant impact far beyond this community. I'm talking about this region of the United States. And I can't help but believe God took what has been done here and Brother Spencer and all the, and many faithful church members which sit here that you've worked hard to get this where it is. God brings along and says, okay, Brother Spencer did the part that he did for his time. Now I'm going to bring in some fresh energy and some fresh vision and somebody that's going to be 490 for you now. He's going to pour everything that he has into it. His family's going to do the same thing and he wants to put this together so that you can be more than you probably ever dreamed this church could be. But that can't happen unless you realize we want to be a 490 church. And the only way this church becomes a 490 church is with a 490 pastor and members who say, I'm just not expecting us to be a 490 church. I'm going to be a 490 church member. Because a lot of people say, this is what I want my church to be. Well, it doesn't get there outside. There is no church outside of the individual members that make it up. So it's only going to be there if 490 church members exist in following a 490 pastor. Now, can you think of any members here who have a 490 standard? Or how do you respond when a 490 member challenges you and says, hey, come on, let's step it up. Brother, let, let's do this. Sister, let, let's... Let's do this and maybe, maybe in, the, in, in the youth and taking and building on what Brother Heath has done over time and Brother Samuel comes in and, and says, hey, let, let's, okay, now, now let's do this because we've had, we have this foundation set for us. Now let's build here or maybe in the, in the music or, or, or maybe in, um, in uh, Aaron in, in dealing with some of the, the, the ladies' ministries and all of those things. And you're going to have people, whether on staff or within the church pew, that says, hey, come on, let's step this up a notch. And it may simply be, it's not just somebody trying to make your life uncomfortable it may be that God puts 490 in front of you and says listen if we want a 490 church all of us are going to have to be willing to not set our own numbers but to let what who God is and what he wants to do through us and what he sent our pastor here to do maybe that's what he wants to do to set our stage for the next 20 25 30 years till he comes back Amen. and that many of you would look back and say man I got to be a part of that Amen. yes you did See, that was the first part, that if, that if he shows you 490, don't go show seven. But we have to end with this, if all you want is to put seven in, then be ready to obtain only seven in return. You want to live life as a seven member? I, I, I won't be careful in, in, in saying this, but I've watched this happen at churches. So, so please don't misunderstand. Don't expect God to leave a 490 pastor at a church full of seven members. Jesus said, if you want to do seven, I'll treat you like seven. And, and if you want to be a seven church and a seven church member, it might just be a few years and God says, okay, I'll give you seven pastor." instead of a 490 pastor. Amen. That's sobering thought, isn't it? it is. But it's the way God works. I, I have to believe, I mean, I, I knew it was going to be someplace special whenever God called the Jets away from Bible Baptist Church. That's the reason, I don't, I don't know you from Adam, but I know you're special because God put them here. I'm, I'm hoping that that, that God gives them an opportunity to, to be here for as long as God will allow them to be. And, and you have the best chance of seeing the greatest future if you say God sent us that kind of pastor. We want to be those kinds of members so that God can show us 490. If parents here simply want seven kids, and I don't mean that many kids, you know, very few of you would, but if parents here only want Seven kids, you know, can I say again very personally, I'm giving up a son that I've invested for 23 years to come here. And I, I can tell you, he's still growing and, and you're going to help him grow. And I want to thank you in advance for your patience with him as he grows. But you know what he learned from his 490 youth director that he had, which is now your pastor? He learned that he wants to raise up teens who, who want to excel at being godly young men and women. 
And if, and if he's trying to raise 490 in the youth group, but parents are content with a seven child, like I just want my kids to be good kids. I'm saying, God, please don't let Samuel have to spend the next 15 years fighting parents who want mediocre kids when he wants 490. God's doing something special here at Eastside. And I want to encourage you, say because of what's happened in the past, the facilities you have, good grief, the building that's going on around here. God's put you in the middle of something amazing. And realize he's put 490 all around you. So would you take a few moments at invitation time and say, Lord, Maybe it's not an accident that I'm a member of this church at this time, under this pastor, under these circumstances. And would you be willing to take a moment and say, Lord, where's my number coming from? Where I'm at right now, Lord, is this where you told me to be? Or do I need to realize, I need to, Lord, can I ask you afresh, what's my standard? What should my standard be? And have I, have I settled for seven when really you're offering me the 43 life? And just ask the Lord. I, I'm not trying to set that for you. I have no business doing that. I just want you to know you've got a lot of 490 all around you. And this is just a pastor from the outside who's going to pray passionately that God will use you in the most incredible way. But you have to be willing. You and you and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, every member in this church. Where are you going to be in a few years based on your number? Let's stand together, every head bowed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.